Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 19th edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by Disney's number one hater, Jaden. Yeah, hi. And that was, that was good. You timed it good. And uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's number one fanboy, a.k.a. Fitzy, a.k.a. Liam. Oh. Cool, cool. I feel like it's it's still... Are we getting better at that? I don't know. It feels a bit awkward, you know? Does it? Hello? It's good. Yeah. It's solid. Okay, okay. Alright, sure. Well, this is Cinema Effect, the absolute trash show that no one listens to every single week. Uh, and what are we doing? We review movies. How cool is that? The show posts every Monday. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So please subscribe, comment, like, all the good stuff. We'd appreciate it. And you know what? Tell your friends about the show. Tell your family about the show. If you think it's worthy of their uh, listen, of course. You know, If you think the show's crap, then maybe don't tell them. But if you like it. You know, we'd appreciate it if you told them. And then more people watch it. It's as simple as that. So maybe do that. Uh, you can submit your questions, thoughts, comments, reviews for next week's film in the YouTube comment section. We'll read them at the end of the show, as always. Um, but then we also do the, the specific question prompt. This week we're asking you, what's a character that you find is bad or that you dislike for any reason in a movie that you like or they're in a movie that you think is good. So, yeah, let us know in the comments down below. I'll have to think about it. But, yo, I just said the phrase in the comments down below like a real like a real YouTuber, you know? We're making it big. How cool is that? I, I, I slightly cringed, but anyway. Um, this week we're doing Wake in Fright, a movie I'd never heard of. Jaden threw this one at us, and I'm glad he did because it, uh, it was an interesting watch. But Data Dump, first of all. Wake and Fright opened in Australia on October 9th, 1971. The film was directed by Ted Kocheff. Kocheff? Is that all right? Is that all right? Yeah. Cool. You'll allow it. Who, very interestingly, also directed First Blood, which is interesting. And then Weekend at Bernie's. What a combo, you know? Totally not uh, different films at all. He, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was surprised by that, especially since, you know, this is, I, I'd assumed some, like, underground Aussie director back in the day did this, but no, he's mm. actually a name, so good for him. The film was written by Evan Jones, but it's based on the novel by Kenneth Cook. Uh, the film stars Donald Pleasance, Gary Bond, Chips Rafferty, uh, Rafferty excuse me, and Sylvia Kay had a budget of an estimated budget, because, you know, who knows how monetary shit works back in the 70s, $800,000, and had a worldwide box office of $218,000. Um, you know, not a lot of people have seen this movie. As an Aussie, I'd never heard of it, which is kind of a shame, but, yeah. yeah. It's a drama thriller, sort of, I guess. And uh, the synopsis for it is, after a bad gambling bet, a school teacher is marooned in a town full of crazy, drunk, violent men who threatened to make him just as crazy, drunk, and violent. That was a funny synopsis I liked. Um, all right. Wake in Fright. Uh, Jaden, you introduced us to it, but you hadn't seen it, so how would you feel about it? Um, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. Because, um, like, although I knew about the film, I, I really didn't know much about it. Um. So just from the title and like hearing like snippets of like just like I, I like I re- I re- reading like different parts of like the synopsis, you know, 
like you know, and you like you put put, put together like you know crazy people in Fry back 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 town. You know, I was expecting like some like hillbilly horror type stuff. You know, where like he kind of had to like just survive a night in like you know some backwater town. Um, but uh, I mean, like I was always waiting for that to happen in the film until like I don't know. I'd say like about halfway through, I realized it wasn't gonna happen. But um, yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting, but it was it was it was, it was a good nonetheless. Yeah. I was not expecting this either. I was kind of based on what you'd said. I was in the same boat. I figured that this was going to be like a horror kind of thing, like a Wolf Creek or something of that nature, sort of. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then in the first twenty minutes, I'm like, oh wow, this is a slow start. Okay, I wonder when when we're going to get to the horror shit. And then yeah, I, I was in a similar boat. I realized yeah, probably about halfway through. Wait, I don't think any of that's coming. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but how do you feel about it, Fitzy? And was it what you expected? Yeah, I thought it was great, um, kind of a descent into hell kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, Were you expecting this movie, you know? Um, I guess I was expecting more of a, yeah, more of like what Jaden said, like a chase kind of thing or like, you know, he's being hunted, but, you know, yeah, yeah. it's kind of the one that, brings upon his own, you know, um, demise, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought the movie was kind of, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know. It was not at all what I expected, like I said, but I really liked most of it. Um, I think it's really interesting thematically and kind of the commentary side of things. I think it's quite interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Um I don't know. That's yeah. It didn't. It doesn't always fully work for me. Like um, the way some of the 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 plot points and and the narrative beats kind of progress is kind of happens very to crazy levels for me. Where I don't. I don't know. We'll get into it when we get into specifics. But um, I don't know. I, I didn't like. I didn't love it. But no, I, I liked it generally. I think. How did we? How did we feel about? For me, anyway one of the more unique aspects of seeing the movie was seeing a film that depicted Australia in this way and seemed to have something very clear to say about Australian culture back in the seventies. Um, I thought that was really interesting and it's probably what I took the most away from it. And, you know, it's always cool to see Australian accents and locations, etc., in films. Um, was that a big aspect for it for you guys? And did you, did you find it interesting how it kind of tackled our culture? Well, um, I was wondering while watching it, like, is this actually, is this movie tackling the whole of Australian culture or is it just kind of choosing this isolated, you know, um, like closed off society as a kind of commentary for, um, I guess, uh, you know, like craziness and isolation and all that. So, I don't know. Mm. So, okay, so you're saying it, just because of how isolated the town is, Broken Hill is where it's, you know, meant, meant to be um, in New South Wales. And, okay, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like a lot of it has to carry over to, cult, to, to the culture generally, you know. Yeah. Um, but I also get what you're saying. A lot of it does come down to just the harshness of that particular landscape and that aspect of it can't really be applied as easily to areas where we live, you know? Mm. Well, I think, like, the peer pressure 
um, nature in there is kind of something that uh, happens in Australian culture. Oh, yeah. Like, peer um, pressure and, like, Aussie culture is so, like, intertwined. Yeah. Absolutely. No, all that stuff was really significant. And, I mean, obviously, the main part of it, and it's... <laughs> It's funny, like when as it when it started happening, I just figured this was just you know some cool humor, yeah, um, and, and kind of a cool way to just poke fun at us or something. And I was like, oh, okay, that's funny. But then as it kept going and kept going, um, and sorry, I'm talking about how often they constantly uh, refer to beers and drinking beers and have a beer and have a beer. And it's, I thought it was just funny at first, and then I realized, wow, this is actually like really clever like it's it very much services what the film's trying to say which was surprising to me at the beginning of the film like once they downed like about seven schooners i was i was like all right i'm gonna count how much they drink in this film because i didn't think it'd be it become such a major plot, plot plot point but then like you know two scenes later i was like yeah no nah, i'm out um i think it's interesting because like australia has like such a they, it, it does have like a rep- like, like a reputation for like you know big time drinking and like whatever like that but I feel like it's not like I mean like every country kind of has that stereotype. I mean you know whether you look at the UK or Russia or you know I mean like even Americans like you know in the like the ecologies or whatever they're meant to be big drunks. I, I, and like I find I find it strange like how Australia seems to kind of get the negative type of that though you know. Because mm. I feel like it's it's yeah. it's, it's it's in a lot of cultures, but it, it seems like when you talk about drunkenness, it, it like the Aussies tend to cop the flack for it, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's, I get you. I don't, but I don't know if this film necessarily and what it, I don't know if it is through the excessive amounts of alcohol and it is actually kind of pushing drunkenness per se, because, you know, we see plenty of characters that just drink all day and they seem totally fine and normal. I think it's less so focusing on the, you know, that side of it and more just like, I don't know. I, I think the beer is just a means to which you get to the, 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 the peer pressure and the insistence that we were talking about um, of the culture. I don't know if the, I'm saying, I don't know if the drunkenness itself is really important, you know? Well, I think, um, I think the drunkenness in the movie, the alcohol kind of adds to the nihilism that the movie kind of presents like, um, the only thing to do is really to drink, you know. There's nothing to do in right. this in this town. So, oh no, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. That's very true. Uh, this movie did a great job um, of really, I mean, depicting this town, obviously, but showcasing just how friggin' isolated and barren. And obviously, you know, it has to. The movie has to do this well for it to be effective because it's such an instrumental part of the story of the film. But um. Of yeah, yeah, just that isolation and how do people, you know, how did they live like this and how do they still live live like this? Because you know that this community still like this out there. There's plenty of them. So that's always crazy to me, especially when you know I, I love the opening 360 shot and the score there is really haunting and how that comes back at the end is really cool. But um, the way that that's all presented and shown and then uh, we get the dude who like runs the motel next to the school. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, <laughs> who stays at this freaking motel, you know? And I think the movie does, just in how it presents these locations, it really gives off this feeling of just, like, I I could never put myself in the shoes of 
living like this, you know. And then at the same time, that I think kind of services, um, what's his name, John? What's his John? John what's his name? I forgot his surname. John. I'm blanking hard. Uh, the main character, dude. Whatever. Just call him John, yeah. John Grant. Johnny, yeah. John Grant. Thank you. Yes, that's it. Um, it kind of services just how he feels so out of place and how crazy this is for him. Um, even as Australians, it's like, yeah, no, I totally get this. This would be, I'd be totally in his boat with how nuts um, living in these communities is. Um, Martin Scorsese really uh, likes the movie. He saw it in 1971 at Cannes, at Cannes Film oh. Festival. And um, the scene where they throw up the the coins, you know, when they're playing the heads and tails game, it's um it's similar to a shot in Casino where like the chips are thrown up in the air and it's like you know the shot is like from the ceiling you know and you see it um it's just a cool shot how it's like you you see everyone and then from the ground and then the you know the coin is like coming up to the camera like that um and then you see like the you know the light when he looks at it so I thought that was there was a lot of cool filmmaking stuff uh, in here like that. You know, a lot of cool techniques and stuff. Definitely. I think yeah, that, that stuff was okay. good. No, you're good. Uh, I, I think one of my favorite rooms is when he ends up back in Wunder Yabba. I mean, because oh, like, right. he thinks he's finally escaped. And, like, I mean, like, I feel like like that kind of nails home, like, how, how, how much it is his personal hell and, like, the fact that he can't get out, you know. He thinks he's finally yeah. going to Sydney. And then you know he 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 wakes up and then the shots you know like the courthouse whatever it is and you'll and like 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 in that moment I was like oh no you know and like like cause like yeah I mean like his personal hell is I feel like is very like it's like you said before about like I, you couldn't you can't imagine like living in a town like that I mean like it's like yeah I felt like I could really like relate to the character in that sense of being just trapped in like you know it's like Ballarat I mean honestly. <laughs> I, I connect to him and that situation so much as someone who I, I just hate heat in every sense of the word. And like, yeah, the, the wave dude, that movie, it, it, I was hot looking at the movie, you know, mm. <laughs> just the deserts and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How did you guys feel about the kangaroo hunting scene? Well, I mean, mm. I, I was totally going to bring it up later, but let's do it. Oh, now. Um, no, 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 no. I, I'm glad we got, um, I'll introduce it with some trivia first. So, because this is definitely like a big talking point for the movie, I think. Um, here we go. The film features a graphic hunting sequence uh, during which one kangaroo is killed by a hunting dog and many other kangaroos are shot, uh, with several shown wounded but still alive. And one even appears to be deliberately run over. Basically, kangaroos massacred looks terrible. Significant parts of this section were genuine footage of an actual hunt. A production note at the start of the closing credits, um, which we all saw, suggested... Uh, that these disturbingly confronting images were kept uncut as a deliberate statement against licensed hunting uh, of kangaroos. Uh, the survival of the note, the survival of which the note claims was at the time seriously threatened. Sorry, I botched that a bit, but um, yeah, when I saw that shit and it popped up, that that was impossible for me to watch. Man, I was I, I could not look at this. I was not looking at the screen at all. I couldn't bear it. But um. And as as it was presented to me, it was so terrible, but I was kind of running through my head of 
this could be, you know, very deliberate in the vein of what what actually is the case apparently, according to the producer's note, of they're doing this to showcase how violent um, and to kind of, you know, for animal rights advocacy, which is great. But then the other side of my brain at the time was thinking, this is the early 70s. Is there a chance that they would just, you know, they had no idea what they were doing and they just were more than happy to present this to us and didn't even really think about the animals. But no, I'm glad that it turned out this way. But um, I reacted, uh, if that was, you know, the intent, then it was very effective because Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, how do you feel about it, Jaden? You brought it up. Um, I think it's, a, a one, again, one of the better scenes that to like showcase kind of like, you know, the pressure and like, you know, like the... Um, I can't, I can't think of the word. It's, it's not complacency, but I kind of like just that acceptance of, you know, I'm going to have to just do what I have to do because I'm here. So, I'm you know, I'll just more follow along with it. And like, it's like that part where he goes down and like kills like the baby kangaroo. I mean, like that was probably like one of the more disturbing parts of the film. And like, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, like, um, I thought it was effective. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I'm surprised that, the producers and I did come at the come at the end because, like, as far as I'm aware, kangaroos are, you know, their numbers pretty high. I mean, like, I, I thought Australia mm. was looking at them for, for like a future food source, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like kangaroo jerky, like you, you'll find it at like you know just you know your farmer's market or whatever. So I mean, like, so like seeing that 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 there was a note about you know that 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 that, that they wanted to paint it in a negative light and you know like you know protest it or whatever. It surprised me, but um, yeah, I mean, like like you said, it was it was it was it for sure worked in the film's favor. Just like that scene, and, you know. Unrelated to the film, I guess it means that you know, not this film specifically, but I just general movements at the time. I guess it reveals that they were effective because yeah, you're right. There's not really much of a concern for kangaroos these days, so they did a good job, I guess. But yeah, no, I, like I said, I'm so glad that it turned out to be that because I was so worried that I'm like. God, did they seriously do this and not care? Um, but yeah, I was surprised from the. <laughs> I managed to bear looking at the screen for about every probably second shot or whatever. From what I saw, especially uh, later uh, later on when John gets even more involved with the kangaroos and he actually has a freaking hand to hand freaking <laughs> combat encounter with one of them, I was very surprised at actually how well that was shot, and it almost concerned me how well it was shot because what the producers know doesn't really clarify i want to get your guys opinion on this it doesn't really clarify they said that it was conducted during a professional hunt but those shots with him actually wrestling the kangaroo looked so good especially for the 70s that i was like did they actually do that and if they actually did that that that's not like professional hunting territory you know what i mean yeah I think, yeah, well, that would be just, he would have just done that during the hunt, I guess. Well, yeah, I guess so, but then that's not really what the statement implies. The statement implies that the hunt was conducted safely, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but either way, yeah, well, I don't know. But um, if they actually got the actor to do that, that's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. I, I was just shocked by how good it looked. Um, and if they actually put kangaroos in harm's way to do that, then I'm not happy with it at all, but... Um, it, it, it surprised me. If you'd asked me on paper, like, okay, there's an actual, like, kangaroo fight scene in this movie where they wrestle and shit, and this movie's made in the 70s, I would have thought, oh, that shit's going to look corny as hell. 
but it didn't look corny at all. And that had me concerned, was, is all I'm saying. That was my reaction to it. Yeah, the kangaroo stuff is definitely the most like disturbing part of the movie. Um, the movie's kind of like about, because John's kind of a different character. Like there's hints that he might be gay and he's kind of a writer. Well, not a writer, a, you know, he's a, he's a more intellectual type. Um, mm. And like the movie's kind of about the hell of normalcy and like, you know, um, peer pressure and all that in a way. I Definitely. Guess. Yeah, and there's you know key moments where John's confronted with these situations, and he kind of uh, goes along with it or challenges it in later circumstances. But um, yeah. the I guess I mentioned some problems I had with just the pacing of the movie and and the flow of the narrative beats. It for me the and I totally get the intention, at least I think I do, of exactly what you're saying, Fitzy. You know. The kangaroo star, star, uh, stuff is one of the key examples of him being complacent and going along with it and uh, submitting to that peer pressure. And as a device for that, that's fine. I just felt like we'd known, you know, from what we knew of John, and he'd only been there a day at that point, I, it felt a bit extreme for me. I, I, I couldn't really see him doing what he did to the kangaroos after only that period of time. But um, it, it's a nitpick, but I just kind of thought that was a bit quick, you know. But how do we feel about... John's arc, I guess, along those uh, along those lines, in the movie in general, because he goes through some crazy shit, no doubt. Um, ends in him. Oh, we'll get into more. I guess what happens along the way, but it ends up with him shooting himself in the head, failing to kill himself, uh, which was a good callback to a line earlier in the movie. Observant Zach actually noticed this shit, um, where. John made the joke that killing yourself is one way to get out of this town, and he actually attempted to do that. He failed, though. And the most interesting part of the movie and the arc in general, I think, came after that, is when he got out of the hospital. And um, I, I think I think it was then, or it might have been a bit earlier, but definitely later in the movie, the further we get into it, he starts more and more, I noticed, calling people mate. And he, of course goes back to his teaching job. He accepts taking the beer on the train. Um, it's the first time he kind of willingly goes, hell yeah, I'll have a beer, whatever. Seems actually physically comfortable doing it. And then he goes back to the teaching job and he seems kind of content in doing so. Do you think, Fitzy, that this is kind of an arc of acceptance in some way? That's kind of what I thought about it, but I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah. Um, but like in a bad way, I guess. Um you know, he's accepting, oh, right. yeah. accepting like not having. Well, he's accepting like um, the norm, I guess, or like he wants to like go to Sydney or go to England or whatever, um, like somewhere he would fit in more, I guess, or he feels he would fit in more. But he just kind of ends up, um, you know, accepting a situation because of his circumstances. So. It's kind of a, uh, you know, not a good ending, I guess, for him. He was meant to go meet up with his girlfriend, but like, you know, he didn't rock up his dinner for six weeks. Like, what's she thinking? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he hangs out in Bundayaba for like, you know, half a week, shoots himself in the head, and then wakes up, you know, at the end of the six weeks or whatever. Like, that's what we have to assume because he just goes straight back to Tabuna. I mean, like, you know, what's his girlfriend in, in Sydney doing? You know. Like surely, you know, know. She, like the, she puts out a call and like, oh yeah, yeah, he's uh, 
you know, he's over here doing that. And she's like, get him over here. I mean, like, you know. Yeah. The girlfriend in Sydney was a weird device. I, I don't know how I feel about it. It was, I mean, visually, like, when we get the few flashbacks to her, or, like, visions, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, uh, cuts to her, and, you know, it's of the beach. That's got such a stark contrast to the rest of the film visually that it's quite effective, where I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really appealing right now. I want to go to that beach, you know. Mm. Um, but the fact he just, yeah, he just can't get there fits you, I guess, kind of what you're saying. He just can never get there, and he just kind of is just ha- ends up being happy with that, you know. That's kind of shitty. I hadn't really interpreted it that way until you said it, but. Yeah, it's definitely a very, like, nihilistic, depressing kind of film, at least the way I see it. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, Jaden, but I have to say it again just because the the moment when he, he hitches a ride to the city in quotes and and he gets out and it's the freaking yabber again, that that was the only moment in the movie that made me like physically react. I was like, oh, yeah. gee, that's correct. That that was awesome. Um, yeah, and you can totally see that happening, can't you? I just thought it was so funny. But yeah, of course that guy sees that as the city, you know. But let's get into some of the other twisted shit that occurs to poor old Johnny Boy. On his little, on his little adventure in Australia, uh, the stuff with the Janet chick was kind of weird to me. He kind of, he like vo- vomited when he was making out. I, I didn't really get what was going on there. Am I dumbass? Zach needs explaining. Did he just? Was he just uncomfortable? Was he feeling guilty? Was that really all it was? Well, I thought that might have been one of the hints of the movie that he is gay, um, and that kind of fits into how like he's like you know. Different from the norm, he's kind of coming to this like unwilling acceptance. Um, mm. I don't know. Could be that. That's fair. Are there other hints? Oh, I don't really. I didn't really pick up on that as a as a thread personally. Um, that would make sense. I mean, it's heavily implied later that he, you know, sleeps with the doctor. Is it? Oh god! Yeah. Wow. I mean, like that implication went over my head. Like, like, like when they get back to the house after the Ruhan, oh, you know, and they have yeah. the little tussle. And then, like, John's on the floor and the doctor's over him and the head's, like, you know, they're, like, you know, two inches apart. I mean, like, like, oh. and, like and, like, the way it fades to black and, like, the when, when he wakes up, you know, he, 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 he has, like, this strong detest for him. Mm. I he think kind of, um, it kind of feels like they slept together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying that, yeah. I think one of the reasons John hates or is scared of the doctor so much as well is because the doctor was this intellectual type like himself, or maybe even this, maybe even gay, and he kind of conformed to this, you know, town, um, to this mm. place, and like his, you know, his lifestyle is adapted to to the this situation, just like John at the end. That's kind of a mirror of his own story in a way. Yeah, huh, that's very true. Well, yeah, no, all that. All that kind of builds to the end well where uh, old Doc leaves him at the train station and, uh, yeah, John's just clearly has disdain for this person. So, you know, those two things work to make that make sense perfectly. I hadn't really thought of that. But what else happens to him? I mean, he goes through some crazy shit. I mean, losing all his money. Uh, Oh, of course. Of course, the trigger for the whole thing, yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. two of it's such a because I mean like you like, I've, I feel like I've seen that game in like quite a few films and like it, it it just blows my mind that such a simple thing is like a popular gambling game you know I mean as was, someone who had never heard of that as a thing 
that people do. I, I had the same reaction, but <laughs> I was shocked. I'm like, wait, they gamble on heads and tails, tossing a coin. Yeah, yeah. I was shocked by it. I, think- I mean, the fact that you can only bet for sorry, Fizzy, you can only bet for like two things, you know, right. heads or tails. So you can't even bet for like you know a split. So I mean, like it makes <laughs> it even more simple. I mean, like yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It kind of adds to the, like, um, you know, the basic nature of this town, like, you know, bet on a very simple mm. betting game or, like, drink is kind of the only things to do. Go kangaroo hunting. You know. um, why do you think everyone was so intent on keeping him in Bundayabo? I mean, you have the sheriff, the doc, like, the taxi driver says, you know, it's the best place you'll ever go. Everyone wants to keep him there, and like when he says, "I'm only here for one day," they're all kind of upset. Why do you think that that they want to keep him there? Mm, I got no idea. Maybe maybe they just like outsiders. It's a bit fun for them. That's the most basic answer possible. You can help me, Fitzy. What is it? Um, I don't know. I just think it's part of the whole, you know, um, conformity thing. Like he feels trapped by them. Um. Yeah, that's why that's what I get from the list. So, like we we, we we you briefly mentioned before about how the film is an exploration into like you know his own personal hell. Like, how allegorical do you think it is into actually comparing Bunda Yabba to hell? Because like because like when you think about it, like it kind of does have the, have like similar devices about like you know the inescapable effect of it, and you know this really like dominating force that just pressures you to cave into like what's you know into like the norm there mm. i mean so like because like and that's that's kind of like where i take a bit of issue because i'm like i'm not sure how much of it's meant to be allegory and how much of it's just actual you know that's just the way the town is so how do you feel about that oh uh, well there's that um that line in there that um the doctor says all the little devils love hell yeah. ah right no, so i think that's through my mind too here yeah. there's um like quite a few things there to think that this is, you know, an allegorical story, like you said, or a metaphorical story, I guess. Metaphor, yeah, yeah. I found it weird that the Doctor was top build. Is he was he like a actor at the time? I don't know. I was just surprised by that. I, I assume you would be an actor. Um, yeah. <laughs> you got me good there. Shout out to four dollar hotel rooms and one dollar steaks. Just wanted to throw that out there. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, because uh, like I, I, I shocked in like the amount he lost it like into an inflation calculator, like um. Oh. So he said one more spin and I'll be out of teaching forever, right? And with one more spin, he was meant to get like what one thousand dollars, right? I mean, like mm. to the equivalent of that today is about like I think it said like eleven thousand, and like I know that prices were different back then, but was it different enough that eleven thousand could take you out of you know teaching? I don't know. That's a good question. Like yeah. I guess so. Oh well. Oh, uh, no, ask. Very famous, by the way. Sorry. Is he really? Yeah, he. I forgot he has like a. He's like uh, got a lead role in the Halloween films, and he's in the oh, Greatest Escape from right. yeah. I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, well then, fair enough. I really liked. Um, I really liked John's outburst towards the end of the movie that he had to, you know, all these people help him along the way and always want him to have a beer, like we said, and all this shit, but give him lifts and everything. I mean, you know for what's meant to be a hellscape, you know, the people are pretty helpful. But um, so, and John has this outburst on one of the people that gives him a lift and he says, you people always want to have a beer and 
Yeah, I, I, I liked that because he really, up until that point, I was still, you know, dissecting what the film was about, kind of, and what it was trying to explore. And that particular scene, that particular moment, he kind of verbalized, I think, exactly what the film was getting at from that peer pressure perspective. You people always want to have a beer. What's wrong with you people? And um, can you just leave me alone? And or, or you don't even give a shit about doing all these horrific things, but you're happy to have a beer and all this. I, I thought that was a cool moment. I like the um. Well, I didn't like him, but the um, the sheriff character. He um, like every time he drank his beer, he like looked at John, waiting for him to drink his. Yeah. And he was very like um, as John said, he was like arrogantly, you know um. Oh, what's the word like? You know, arrogantly nice, like um, like arrogant hospitality. He was arrogantly mm-hmm. hospitable, so. He was a cool character. Yeah, yeah. When he um, that's where the humor aspect of the beer started for me. Where you know when he, <laughs> I laughed when he like looked at him expectantly to hurry up and just skull it. That mm. was funny. And then yeah, th- but then yeah, like I said, I didn't expect that to be kind of a common thread throughout the whole thing. From what I remember, you we only see two indigenous characters on screen. We see a little girl in the back of the motel, and we see that bloke in the train. Um, yeah. but when we both when we see them both, it, the camera kind of holds on them. And it kind of feels like they're meant to have, like, a significance. Do you guys? That's great you brought that up. Because, yeah, it was weird. Especially the first one for me, the, the dude on the train. I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a character in this movie. And then, yeah, th- that was funny. It, that was very deliberate. And I don't know. I don't know. There's something there. But I don't know if I'm the guy to figure it out. Fitzy. <laughs> we call upon you. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the fact that he's sitting apart in the train might indicate the whole kind of different thing, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking as well. It was, it was just more with the outsider type stuff, but um, right. like like you said, Vinny, I was I was expecting him to have a more significant role. I thought they'd have a chat while they were on the train or something, or he'd like you know, there'd be some kind of development with him where they share, you know, some kind of experience. But because but you know. Because that's all we get from them. Mm. Yeah, it it, it felt. Mm, I don't know. It felt like there could have been, obviously, more to it. But yeah, almost like there was an idea there that they were going to have some sort of conversation, and a conversation between the two, I think, could have been very thematically relevant. Mm. But just because it didn't happen, it feels kind of un- incomplete and kind of weird. And uh, I don't know. When you when you like and like we talked about before, like like things in the film are very deliberate, like it, like the, the the way it's crafted. So like and like so like it, it makes no sense that something like that wouldn't be deliberate. It, it really feels like there there was an intention there that they want to show the audience something. And I feel like if it is just more like all that outcast type stuff, I feel like it's kind of you know kind of falls flat or something. I, I guess. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, why not? I'll ask. So, you know when they're in the RSL and the, uh, <laughs> this is super random, and the lights go down and they do the Anzac uh, Memorial thing? Mm. That was that was very strange for me. As someone who, I, I, I did not, I've never experienced that. No. I don't know. I yeah. saw in the, uh, in, in the trivia how about, it, it's apparently like, it said, I guess for people who aren't Australian didn't know, it was like, this often happens in Australian RSL clubs. And I'm like, I've been in RSL clubs and I've never experienced that. Is it like an older thing? No, because I've been to an RSL club, the one in near in Belmont, and um, they they still do it. Um, that really? Was, okay. That was a few years ago, though. So, huh? 
Okay, no, cool, cool. Yeah. No, I was just interested by that. I was like, oh, I've never experienced that in my life, but I liked it. I don't know. I, I, I liked it too because it kind of like painted a more respectful image of Australians in that in that moment just because like, you know, because, yeah. you know, like everyone stops at like the gambling, the drinking, everything stops to pay their respect to, you know, those who serviced our country. So like I did enjoy, not enjoy, but I, I you know, I, I was happy that that, that, that moment was included because it does balance some stuff in kind of. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it definitely. It's an important part of, you know, of our way of life in, in some respects and at the same time, yeah, it adds dimension, I think, to the film in not always. And I don't think the film goes out of its way to villainise us. No, no, it do, no, it doesn't, but, you know. Definitely not. And I think that's that's one of the contributing factors to why not, and there's plenty of others. What else is there to appreciate? It's got an awesome poster. Mm, sure. <laughs> uh, I think, like, the like the, the, the colour palette for the film just works so well. Like you talked about before, like, the, you physically feel hot watching the film. And I mean, yeah. the fact that like it's just constantly bathed in you know yellows and it's so rich. Um, the um, yeah, the the director like said to everyone to like not put any blues or greens on the on the uh, on the set. Um, he like purposefully tried to remove all cool colors. That's cool. Yeah, I did like how um. Some of the characters, how they kind of act to service what I was talking about with um, those two. Oh, dude, oh, I couldn't tell you what their names are. But the two that also go out and shit the kangaroos and shit and then that cause that wild racket with the doc and uh, and with John. I don't know. Who they, I just can't remember what their names are. But they're like the distinctive. Like, they kind of look like their brothers, even though I don't think they are. Like the distinctive taller dudes. And I like their depiction as... You know, traditional Australians, you know, get out, how are you, great, you know, that kind of surface level kindness, but really just, I don't know, they really irritated me and I think they were clearly meant to and hmm. their behaviour and obviously what they did to the kangaroos is horrific. But even beyond that, just, yeah, how they treated other people and how they uh, just just real dickheads and tore the freaking that pub apart. I kind of liked their role in the movie as servicing the more negative side of us, you know. Mm. I think their names are Dick and Joe. There you go. Thank you for that. Well, why not? They were dicks, that's for sure. Mm. Turns out that Dick's a pretty good actor, actually. It wasn't one of them in Attack of the Clones, no shit. Yeah, Dick was. That's a... Oh, Dick was in Attack of the Clones, wow. Yeah. Good for Dick. He was, uh, he was, he was, he was Lars, Clyde Lars. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. He says he was also the man from Snowy River as well, something like that. Oh. I think. Okay. Yeah. He got on. Yeah, he's doing all right. Yeah. There we go. Have we, have we got anything else? Are there any other moments that we're missing out on? Because this movie just has a lot of, you know, smaller moments, I think, but significant ones as well. We touched on a lot of them. Uh, I guess the movie's pretty um, simplistic in terms of what it's trying to achieve. Um, like this disturbing, mm-hmm. you know, hellscape um, and all that stuff we talked about. But, yeah. yeah. No. Do you guys? Uh, sorry, sorry, James. No, 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 you go. no, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> well, like, ask, like, it's, 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 again, it's a stupid question, but like, why do you think towns like Tabuna exist? I mean, like, it's literally like four buildings. No, that's a great question. Like, like, I mean, why not just like move it? You know, fifty k's the other way, so it can be like you know in the other city. Like, no one's gonna lose out on like looking at you know red dirt and the landscape. I mean, like, because like it's not even shown to be like a significant town. Like, there's no. 
there's no industry, there's no mining there. It's just a settlement, you know, in in, in nowhere, you know. That's yeah. That's what I think every time whenever I see one of these places in our country, and especially when you know all the school kids are there, like in the classroom, but then they all leave, and then John walks out, like I think like twenty seconds later, and who knows where those kids went? They vanish. Like where do they live? You know? Yeah, because like that's because like, I was trying crazy. to look. And like, like, cause like it, one of the, like one of the buildings might've been a share house or something like that. I mean, maybe they've got oh. like a Cucopedia type thing where like they've got houses on the ground or some shit. I don't know. It didn't seem like it. No. Yeah. It, it, and like, do they all just walk? Like what? Like, yeah. Let's walk home. But like walking home across that, I don't know if that's like. And I mean, like, what are you going to do out there apart from mining? And I mean, like, it's I, like, it's evident. I, like, I feel like, you know, not every one of those kids is going to have like parents that are miners or whatever. So, I mean, like, it, it just mm. makes no sense, you know? Mm. It, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me either, especially knowing that those places are real is bewildering to me. It makes me appreciate the time that not only we live in, but the place we live in too. Imagine living out there. Yeah. Huh. I mean, like, you look at the American, like, you know, like the... I mean, like, because, like, like, in their Midwest, I mean, you know, it's all just desert and shit, like, you know, Nevada and, like, type of, like, and, like Arizona type stuff. Like, do they, do they have a similar thing? Hmm. Maybe I would think to a lesser extent, just because of how dense that that country is. You know, with just I'm sure there are lots of barren areas, but at the mm. same time, but I mean, like what 95 percent of our population lives on the coast as well, or something like that. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't think it would be as extreme, but I've got no insight. Did you guys? I mentioned earlier how I just felt it was a bit weird how John kind of got to the extreme level of killing the kangaroos quite fast. Does that resonate with you guys at all? Yeah. Just curious. Um, yeah, when he was actually a part of the kangaroo hunt and he was enjoying it, I thought it was out of character um, in that moment. But Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, I got why he'd be on it. You know, it made sense. He was kind of thrown in with these group of people and he'd just woken up and he was told by Dokio, we're going on this hunt and he just got in the car. I get that. But yeah, the fact he was enjoying it specifically was strange. Well, we're told that he got a medal in shooting. So, I mean, like he obviously had a history of in hunting. And I feel like the more extreme, you know, when like he pushes a baby kangaroo, I feel like that just came as, you know, the beers piled on and, you know, the peer pressure built. I, I, uh, I, like, yeah, I think it, it might be mm. a, bit, a bit out there, but I, I, I think it still makes sense. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's always interesting when the, the, there are clues in the movie that can make it make sense, but then it can still feel extreme for some people. You know, it, uh, that kind of comes down, I think, a lot more subjective. Because what you said is true. That's a good point. Didn't think of that. All right. Wake in fright. This movie was actually called uh, Outback in the US for some reason. That's a trash name. That's but, just for uh, marketing. I mean, like. I know, but uh, it's still a trash name. Like Sorcerer's Stone instead of Philosopher's Stone. Dumb fucks, I mean, honestly. <laughs> I still love that. But, uh, oh, sorry. I was going to get to scores, but a bit, uh, bit more trivia. This this stuff is fascinating. I could not do this episode and not mention this. The movie had been out of circulation for decades because the negative went missing, which, um, Jane, maybe you can help me. That's like the, the, like the, the, the primary reel, isn't it? Am I wrong about that? Of the film, like the, the I think, I think, yeah, that, that's what they shoot on. I'm pretty sure the negative is what they is like. What the, actually, like you know, yeah, and then they make copies. Yeah, it went missing, sparking an international search 
After a 10-year quest, veteran Australian producer Anthony Buckley finally tracked it down in mid-2004 in a Pittsburgh warehouse inside a shipping container marked for... Con- uh, excuse- oh, I'm so sorry. For destruction. So this, the freaking film vanished off the face of the earth for 10 years. No one had any ability to watch it. And the fact that that you know, can happen, and obviously I'm sure, I assume has happened for hundreds if not thousands of movies over the years is just terrible. It sucks. Um, yeah. that these things that, you know, people, I presume when this came out, you know, people in Australian theatres watched this movie and how it can be lost of time and then the last copy on the planet presumably can be found like that. It's pretty remarkable and then it can be kind of revived for us to watch on streaming services. Um, I, I feel like it's not exactly com- I think um, one of the major studios had like a massive fire where like a ton of their prints just like got burnt up and like there's nothing you can do about it. I think it was Universal. Yeah. And like I, I know, like um, I know there's some like felt like uh, English films from like the 20s and 30s that you know they're just lost forever, but like you know they're well reviewed from the time as well. But you know, yeah. I mean, I just that just comes with the technology, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, but anyway, no, it's a positive ending. I'm glad that they freaking found this movie. Let's re- uh, review Waking Fright out of ten. Yay, fifty. Um, I don't know. I'm tossing between seven or eight. Uh, I'll go eight out of ten. Um, yeah, it's disturbing and uh, and um, like claustrophobic and yeah, it's good. Cool. I'm tossing up between the same two, so I'll let Jaden go. As am I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. I think my experience was hurt because I was, or like, because for a decent portion of it, I was waiting for it to f- become that film that I was expecting it to be. So I think that's going to, that, that's influencing my score. But that's why I'm going to take it down to the seven instead of the eight, because I do think it is really good. But at times it dragged for me. And I'm not sure if it dragged. I mean, there's other problems other than it's just dragging. But like, you know, I'm not sure if that dragging was just because I was expecting the other film or because it was a, g- a genuine issue with the. I'm in the exact same boat where, yeah, ditto exactly what you said. I was expecting something else and it did feel like it dragged for me towards the mill because of that or because I don't know if it's because I was waiting for something else to happen. Mm, yeah, I'm going to follow your logic. I'll give it a seven too. I think it's I think it's really good. I think it's really impressive. Mm. I, uh, yeah, but because of that, yeah, just my experience watching it as a viewer, I don't know if I could say fully enthusiastically that I thought it was great as a result of that. And whether that's my fault or not, it doesn't really matter. I think it's um it's still a massively important film. For, I mean, like it's it's still an achievement in Australian you know filmography. I mean, like I think it should be recognised, you know, among your castles and you know your your whatever else. I think it should be better known than what it is. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think it's an injustice that I hadn't heard of it. Honestly, I think this should be, and maybe it is well more well known than I'm giving it credit for, and I'm just out of the loop. But it, this should be. A film that's, you know, in the in the conscious uh, the conscience of Australians, I think, generally speaking. Yeah, because it is important, I think, to us. I mean, I take this over, you know, glibly any other day. <laughs> what about Red Dog, though? I mean, Red Dog, it, it's a shared unit. I mean, it, it, they share the same setting, so I mean, you know, one film's the other. Mm, they're clearly trying to achieve the same things. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I remember when Red Dog guzzled down like fourteen, you know, beers in one night. Did that happen? What? No. Did it? 
<laughs> I'm just saying, like, the way you said it, like, obviously now, in retrospect, dumbass sack, that's a joke. But that genuinely sounds like, you know, like a red dog fable that someone might tell. <laughs> you know how all these stories about red dog get uh, completely taken out of context? Anyway, who cares about red dog? Yeah, red dog. Red dog. If red dog is um John Grant's just uh alternative name. That's right. Good for red dog. Okay. News chat this week. Uh, the mention this the the Batman HBO Max series that we mentioned last week. We got some more information. It's actually a prequel to the Matt Reeves Batman, and it centers on Gotham PD. So. Get but, Jeffrey Wright in there, maybe. But, He's me, uh, but that show's over. This one has a budget. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jeffrey Wright's playing Gordon in that movie, so get Jeffrey Wright on this show. That could be cool. I'd watch it. Did you, did you watch the CW Gotham? Definitely not. I, oh, actually, I watched the first season. No shit. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. I quite enjoyed the first season, to be honest. Yeah, I can't remember it. Yeah. I think Riddler was in it or something. I don't know. Who was it? Riddler, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was? Okay, cool, cool. Okay. Well, uh, Fitzy, you brought this up last week, so you have to say something. No, yeah, that's good. Pretty cool. Awesome. All right, next up. <laughs> we got uh, the Bad Batch Disney Plus animated Star Wars series 2021. Get hyped. Um... This, I think this one surprised everyone. I don't think anyone expected this as a potential Disney Plus series, as a, you know, next project for Lucasfilm Animation. But, of course, I've got to mention it. Um, I'm into it. I wasn't, yeah, wasn't expecting anything like this, but we know that this doesn't get in the way of the Rebel sequel series, so that's totally fine. You know, as long as that's not affected, I don't give a shit. Do whatever else you want. And, yeah. Like, the fact of... I never would have expected, you know, Clone Wars to be revived the way it was, but then now for Clone Wars to get a sequel show. Because this is effectively what this is, you know. We're going to get Follow the Bad Batch after Order 66, and that's... Wow. You know, what other kind of Clone Wars connections are we going to get? Never expected it, but... Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. And I think it makes sense because, I mean, the Bad Batch were kind of only introduced in this final season. They were meant to be a bigger part of the cancelled Clone Wars stuff. But it makes sense how they were meant to be a larger part of that show. We never never really got the chance to be. And, I mean, they've got their own... Kevin kind of produced their own theme, which is awesome. And, yeah, I, I think... I never would have predicted it, but it actually makes sense with how important that the characters were kind of meant to be and never got the chance to be. I mean, the Bad Batch is just going to be like an animated Mandalorian. I mean, I totally know what you mean, and I'm not complaining. D. Bradley Baker, the TV show, bring it on. Always. We next have. Oh wait, you're gonna watch that, Jane? Um, yeah, it's more Star Wars clone all stuff, so yeah, I'll hop on it. Cool. Yeah, I'm the same. Uh, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans uh, in this Russo brothers Netflix movie. Are they? They're producing, and I assume not directing. Are uh, they directing? What I read was that they were producing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they've been producing a fair few Netflix films these days. Because they produced that uh, that Chris Hemsworth one too, right? Extraction? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so we're getting something else in that boat, in that realm, I guess. Uh, Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans, cool. $200 million, maybe I'll care. If it's just like an extraction thing, if it's got a generic name and it pops up on Netflix, I mean, maybe I'll watch it. I like Triple Frontier, so 
But Ryan Gosling and um, Chris Evans it sounds like such a weird combination. It kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. Chris like, Evans is becoming more legit, though. I think. Yeah. But still, like, um, Chris Evans is, he doesn't deserve is more, plays more like, I guess, fun or comedic roles. And mm. Ryan Gosling plays a ton of dramatic roles. Yeah, that's true. But no, I'm glad to see those perceptions changing, though, because obviously Chris Evans is tremendous. So, like, to he- see him making that transition into, he's obviously capable. So, like, just to be able to, I- I'm glad to see him, you know, changing our perception of him in that way. The fact that we think of him a certain way and... Hopefully we, we can don't have to think of him that way in the future and he can but be anything. You know? he's, he's kind of always done like, you know, I mean like, you know, like what you got knives out, gifted, Snowpiercer. You know, he was in oh, Scott yeah. Pilgrim a bit, you know, uh, like he's, oh yeah. I think he's done enough films in the past that, you know, he, he doesn't need to create a new reputation for himself. It's just that Captain America has overtaken so much of it, you know. I guess. I mean, Knives Out is still like a comedic role, sort of. Mm. It's like a tongue-in-cheek kind of role. And... Snow, no, Snowpiece is a good shout. I didn't think of that. That's true. But then, yeah, I still kind of can't get over Fantastic Four as well in my head. Mm, true. So I think there are arguments both ways. Finally, Uncharted is happening. Finally, maybe. This movie has been in development for, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like a decade at this point, with a... Uh, talent swapping in and out left right and center this is the film's seventh director which is just a fantastic stat mark Wahlberg, who i believe i want to say like seven eight years ago was going to play drake in the movie um is now playing sully for some reason he's like the worst sully i could have ever chosen but anyway and uh and tom holland of course is playing nathan now so yeah is this going to be good guys um, I have no attachment to the Uncharted series, so I mean, like, I'm going in with an outsider perspective, so um, I really don't care. Like, I've seen people complaining that, you know, the fact that it's a young knight, um, but I mean, like, once that, that doesn't affect me, once again, because I'm coming in as an outsider. I mean, I think you've played, what, all four games, yeah? I haven't played three. No, okay, sorry. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Did you, who else was cast? Mark Wahlberg is Sully. Oh. How weird! How yeah, weird is that? No, that sucks. Like, I think I've seen like an hour worth of like Uncharted Four, and I thought like Sully was like a kind of more like lighthearted type of role, isn't he? Oh, definitely, definitely. It's just um, that's that's basically yeah. No, Sully is all charisma, and but Mark, it's different though. Like, you, I get what you when you say that. I know what you mean. Like, Mark Wahlberg is also all charisma, but it's not the same charisma. It's just no. it feels like any, bizarre. Any. He's an actor, and he can do stuff like that. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> look, no look, look, to be perfectly honest, I know there are people hating on this. I- I'm definitely sceptical, but I'm not, like, hating. It, it, they, he could very well come in and be very good. I, I don't know. It's possible. Um, will I see this movie? Maybe. Depends on how interesting the trailers look. But, um... Uh, I don't know about just, yeah, Tom sorry. Holland either, though. No, Tom Holland is also a weird choice. It, Tom Holland's yeah. probably just as weird as Mark Wahlberg for their respective roles. Yeah. Have you seen the Max Payne movie? Because I know people are criticizing Mark Wahlberg because, you know, Max Payne is another video game adapt- adaptation and, like, you know, they don't want him to be in another one. So Definitely haven't seen it, no. No. It's a weird one. The, Tom Holland is especially strange. 
Yeah. And obviously, you know, you know, this is all just to make the movie marketable naturally. But even like for Drake, like it's not even like you have to look like him necessarily. That 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 stuff doesn't bother me as much. It's more like I think of you know, I think of Oscar Isaac. I think yeah. of, I'm just trying to think of people who kind of car- can carry that same kind of charisma and that kind of um, humor in a film. And Oscar Isaac comes to mind for me immediately. There's definitely a few others too that could definitely do it. Tom Holland's a weird one. It's meant to be a young Nate. Like that's just, that's the thing, you know. So I mean, like, does it really matter? Because like you're getting a version of the character that you haven't really seen before. So I mean, does it matter? Well, we have seen young Nate plenty of times. Have you? Oh, sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That's really all that can be said. All right. What have we been watching? We finished news. I'll go first. Why not? The Usual Suspects I watched. Oh, I actually want to talk to you guys about this movie because I know you've both seen it. How did you feel about it when you watched it? How long ago did you guys watch it and how did you feel about it? Because I'm interested. I think I've seen it twice. And um, the first time I saw it, I thought it was pretty great. But, um, you know, the second time I saw it, I realized the reason you think it's so great the first time is because of the twist. And the rest of the story, like once you know the twist, isn't – isn't that interesting at all? Really, it's really not that. Um, it's really not that amazing. Um, so yeah. Right. Right. Well. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, are we going to spoil it? Let's just spoil it. We've all seen it. Sorry. If you if you care about usual suspect spoilers, use the timestamps if you like. Um, I, I I totally get what you mean, Fitzy. But I don't know. I, I feel like the movie is kind of a one time view experience in that way i don't know like i totally get why watching it again and knowing that kevin spacey made the whole thing up would be um you know a lesser viewing experience but i don't know if that's necessarily like something that lowers the film i think if the movie relies on the twist to be good and like oh i disagree with that there are other really well i think there are other movies that they have massive twists that are also just as great when you rewatch them because they're not just about the twists and they work kind of better with the twists in some cases like The Sixth Sense or something like that. Right, right. Well, I mean, the twist is definitely the main component of like what makes the movie memorable. But, I mean, the, the twist only happens in, what, the last 60 seconds? And, I, I, like, I don't know. I, I thought the movie was really good up until that point. I thought that when you think, when you think you get it revealed of what's actually happening the first time before the final twist, like when you think it's uh, the Irish dude who did it. I thought that still would have been a satisfying ending. I, I don't think, like, the Kevin Spacey stuff was very surprising and cool, but if it had never have happened, I still think the movie would have been great. Yeah. But what about you, Jan? How do you feel? I'm, I'm, I'm more along Fitz's line of thought. Like, I, th- I think it's a good film, but, like, I, 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 I think it's a six, but then I think the Kevin Spacey twist makes it a seven. Um, but like, okay. and like, like I agree with it too, but like, you know, it's nothing I haven't seen before really. And I guess that just kind of comes with, you know, the fact that I was watching it, you know, some 20 years after release, I mean, at the time, you know, I'm sure that would have been, you know, pretty mind blowing, but like, like, you know, like the, un- the, 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 the untrustworthy the narrator is something that we've kind of, you know, become accustomed to, you know, we, we, we've become accustomed to that now. So like, it's not necessarily any more, any, any less shocking, but like, it's not as big of a surprise. We've 
become accustomed to it as a concept. But do you? I assume you have. Is there an example of a movie that you have in mind that? Because I don't think I can think of one specifically that does does it like this movie does. You have to give me like two minutes to think. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, because yeah, like you mentioned, you know, Sixth Sense and other films that have like twists at the end that kind of change the outlook of the whole movie, like and the prestige. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen the. Me personally, you've seen way more movies than me, Jane. That's why I asked. That the unreliable narrator is done on like this to where watching it again wouldn't be about seeing it from a different perspective. It would instead be about trying to figure out what's made up and what's not. Because not that's kind of the interesting thing. Like it'd be easy to say Kevin Spacey made the whole thing up and there's nothing to think about, but we know that some of it is true because we know the Irish person did exist. Um. And then from there, you could think maybe his wife existed and so on. And we know that the lineup at the start that kind of started the whole thing did have to have happened. So I think there is interesting stuff about trying to figure out what he made up and um, and what he didn't. I think that's kind of unique. Yeah, what comes to mind now, it's not really the same case of an unreliable narrator, but it's, it's, it's similar in the way that the story unfolds as, you know, the person that you kind of like absolutely least 100% least expected kind of did it and is kind of, it's it's weird because it, like the, the film's a third man, right? It's it's a uh, uh, Orson Welles and some other people I can't remember. Um, oh, okay. And um, so Orson Welles' mates come comes to you know um goes to the European city. I can't remember if it was in Germany or Austria, and like he 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 goes there to meet him up, but then it turns out he's dead, and he's trying to figure out you know how he die, and as he goes on. Um, like every every person he questioned goes more sketchy, and and like the way the story unfolds, because I think I I can't remember. I think there's a note from him, and I think like it's look when I think usual suspects, I usually think third man as well. I I can't really describe the relationship now, but like um yeah okay 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 cool. I I've not seen that movie, but uh yeah okay. There are other examples. That's good. That's good. I hadn't seen one myself. But yeah, I liked it. Um, I also watched last weekend Baby Driver. It's a movie I hadn't seen somehow. I feel like everyone and their mum's seen this movie. I feel like, I mean, obviously it's the newest Edgar Wright film, right? I think is it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of maybe this is just my own perception, but it's kind of Edgar Wright's most popular film. I feel like, and I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of broken into the mainstream in a way that I haven't seen his uh, like snatch and things do. But do you, you're way more into it than me, Jane. Am I talking out of my ass? Edgar Wright didn't do snatch. I'm so sorry. I was, yeah, I got him mixed up with Guy Ritchie like a dumbass. But, um, this question still stands. Um, yeah, I'd say it's his most mainstream film. I think because, like, when you look at his filmography, I mean, he's only really done like three things. He's done, I mean, not three things. He's, he, so he's done the Cornetto trilogy, he's done Scott Pilgrim, and he's done A Fistful of Fingers, and then Baby Driver, right? So, yeah. I, I, I mean, Baby Driver, I'd say, is his most mainstream one, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. And yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it. Um, I think the script's pretty good. I think I, I love, dude, any, you know, car chase sequences in films that are shot well just make me happy. And these ones were shot so well. I, I love, it, it, it's interesting to think that the, at this point, I don't take being able to clearly see what's happening in a car chase for granted because of how often I've seen it, and it's just a clustered mess in the edit, and you can't comprehend what you're looking at half the time. But it's so clear, so easy to see what's happening, so easy to follow, and 
that's you know a testament to it. Um, I mean, I think the ending kind of falls apart a bit for me personally. But um, have you seen a Fitzy? I don't know. Uh no, just parts of it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, um, it's, it's my least favorite film of his, but like, it I think it's still very good. I still give it like an eight out of ten. But like, um, right. Yeah. Great cast. Oh, stellar cast. And like, I mean, like it's it's it's, it's like. I love the, like the small smaller details. Like one I remember really like well is like at the start when he's getting the coffee, like he walks past and like some straight art and like there's a heart on the wall, and but it's like black. But then like he sees Lily James' character, and then as he's walking back past it, the heart's red. And I mean like it, it's small shit like that, but oh, like that's wow. why that's why I love Edgar because he he uses he uses the screen as well as just you know his dialogue, and that's what makes him such a good comedy director. The way that. If you watch the Cornetto, Nick the Cornetto trilogy as well, like you know the way that he, he actually uses the camera to tell jokes and like tell the story as well, um, that's why he's brilliant. That's a really funny detail. That's it for me. What about you guys? Who's gonna start? Um, all right, I'll start. Um, you did it. So I finished the um, Pusher trilogy. Uh, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, um, who also did Drive. And um, so Pusher 2, so Mads Mikkelsen is in Pusher 1 um, a little bit, but Pusher 2 is all Mads. Um, he's in every scene, I think. And he's just gotten out of, it's a Danish film, he's just gotten out of prison. And um, he's basically trying to... Um, He's trying to win his father's uh, love and favor back, basically, and all his um, like associates and friends kind of think he's a. Uh, well, they accept him and stuff, but they he's constantly called like a, you know, a loser and a fuck up in the movie, and the whole thing is just like really degrading experience for him when he comes back and. Um, so he's trying to like integrate himself into normal life, um, doing these car heists for his dad and stuff. Um, but like as the you, you just kind of see the anger, and uh, yeah, you see the in a, just like another film I'll talk about in a minute the uh, anger build up in uh, in Mads's character uh, throughout the throughout the film, and it's um. Uh, it's shot in the signature pusher style, I guess, with the just the gritty kind of realism, and um, yeah, it's probably the best one in the in the trilogy. It's really great. And then Pusher Three follows um, follows the boss from the first two, and with, with the first two pushes are like about these two kind of junky uh, or pusher characters who. Um, are in some way trying to escape the this drug scene in Copenhagen, but this boss character is um, you know, it's about his life remaining there and like kind of it's a kind of headache-inducing experience. Like he's got to keep track of all these things. He's got to cook for his daughter's birthday. He's got this drug deal gone wrong with these. You know, you're supposed to get cocaine, but it turned out it was like ecstasy, but then it turns out it was like candy. It was just random, uh, you know, candy pills. Um, but 
yeah, it's probably it's probably the least exciting of the trilogy, but also the um the the um most disturbing, I guess. The last fifteen minutes is just one of the most disturbing it has one of the most disturbing things ever. Um involves like cutting a guy's it involves like intestines and stuff and but yeah. The Pusher trilogy is uh, really great. Um, they're all on stand as well, so. Mm-hmm. Um, Election is like a, uh, it's like a high school comedy satire kind of thing. Um, Reach with a spoon is like trying to get the, you know, the school president, um, and this one teacher who really hates her is trying to like, you know, basically. Uh, get someone else as president and put her down. Um, and so the whole thing is kind of a war between those two. And then there's these other characters, like the Metzler characters. There's like this nice jock character. And then there's um, this lesbian character who just wants to escape the school. And it's just a good film about um, high school and young people, I guess. And uh, some good comedy. It's a, it's a classic, I guess. Um, I hadn't heard of it. It's a it's a Criterion film as well. So um, yeah, it's it's weird that it's Criterion, but yeah, it is anyway. But um, uh, another I watched another Danish film, uh, The Hunt, with Mads Mikkelsen. I've heard of this. Yeah, and um, so he plays a teacher in this village, kind of small town kind of thing and he's accused of sexual abuse of a child in his um in his or kindergarten and the child is like his best friend's daughter and basically the whole thing is about like how uh, the the town turns on him and it's kind of it's very you know frustrating and just kind of anger inducing and um like Mads Mikkelsen's performance in it is just uh really great. Um and it's really powerful because of because of his performance. But um Awesome. But yeah. And then the last one is Barry Lyndon, which is um a highly anticipated Kubrick film that I wanted to watch and um it's about this Irish rogue. He, um, it's just about his whole lifetime. He like, uh, he has to flee his home and then, like, joins the war on the English side and then, yeah, joins. Uh, it's just about his like climb of the class system, and it's. The first half is very funny. The second half is more uh, sad, I guess. And it's just like a kind of a personal epic. Um, super entertaining and emotional. Uh, definitely one of the best shot films I've ever seen. Like uh, we talked about in Eyes Wide Shut, how Kubrick adapted his use of technique of um, natural lighting from Barry Lyndon and... Uh, yeah, in the film, it's like he 
Kubrick used NASA technology for his or NASA technology for his um for his camera. Uh, and he shot some scenes like using only candles or like most indoor scenes just using candles. And uh, it really adds a lot to the picture. Like there are some like every every frame really does look a, a, like a kind of baroque or like renaissance painting and um i think it's definitely one of the most you know beautiful t- films i've ever seen in terms of uh cinematography but um yeah i don't know it's just a, it's a masterpiece so pretty definitive sweet yeah jaden Take it away. Righto. Uh, I began the week with uh, Gretel and Hansel, which is uh, the new film from Osgood Perkins, who's really great. He directed this film called uh, The Black Red's Daughter, or it's also known as February, um, which is like one of my favorite horror movies ever. So like, I was really keen going into this. Um, doesn't live up to the ex- expectation because he's trying to emulate too much what um, Ari Aster and... Uh, What's the bloke that did the witch code again? Uh, oh, Robert Eggers? Yeah, yeah. He's trying He's trying to emulate them too much, although he's already created his own similar atmosphere in 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 um in February. So to see him kind of try and you know to see to to see to see him kind of try and imitate someone else when, when he's already crafted such a distinctive um you know style is is a bit disappointing. But nonetheless, it was also a film that was really really gorgeous to look at i mean like i like uh, like i was thinking as well it's one of the best films i've like just visually i've seen like the the lighting so expressionistic and like just like deep reds and like 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 you can tell you can tell how like purposely and well crafted each like um each setting is and like the, the atmosphere that they all build um but and like it's a great film in terms of like it still follows like a traditional kind of Hansel and Gretel story in 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 that way. But um, it's just flipped around so the focus is more on Gretel in this film. She's older than Hansel is, and she and like Hansel's more of just you know a kid that follows her around rather than you know an equal that's her brother. Um, but the performances are what let it down. I mean, Sophia Lillis is just shit in this film, just really really bad. Um. Like her, her accent is like non-existent, but then when it comes up, it's really bad. And the kids, are, oh, yeah. and I mean, like Alice Creed does an alright job, but like, like the but the performances really aren't aren't it, you know. Um, and the dialogue as well. I mean, like had it been had it been better written, I could have forgiven some of the performances, but because the dialogue was kind of rather you know tropey and you know just like general type of stuff, it, it you know, and that in combination with the performances didn't really work too well. Um, I watched Heather's, which was definitely not what I was expecting. I was expecting like, you know, your, your high school drama type of, you know, St. Elmo's Fire type of thing, you know? Mm. Um, but it's like a, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a high school satire. Um, but it's, it's, it, it, that was inspired by, um, Dr. Strangelove. I mean, like the, the writer originally wrote it for Kubrick to direct, um, but um, it's really, really great. It's really fantastic. Like um, and it like it works so well as a parody, and a satire as well. I mean, just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't really describe it further than that. It's just really fantastic. Um, 
I watched this French animated film called My Life as as a Zucchini, um, which uh, like I was talking to you two about it last night. I think it's like the best animated film I've ever seen. It's just so emotion filled and like it's only sixty six minutes long, so it's like it's a quick watch, but like you know it, it does what it needs to do in that time as well. And um, like the animation is just, it's just I think it's like claymation or something like supposed to look like that. Mm. And it is just so effective and so brilliant, and the story is so like 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 because like he he like the so he go, he go, he goes to an orphanage after like his mum dies or and whatever, and like as you learn about each kid's reason as to why they're there, they're just heartbreaking and soul crushing, and it's, it's just um. But you know, things get better for him, and you know, it's a uh, really great. Um, I watched Katie says goodbye. Uh, which stars Olivia Cook, um, and was directed by this dude called something Roberts. I can't remember. Um, that was a lot better than what I was expecting. Because um, like reading reviews on Letterboxd, I mean, like they kind of just tear the film apart. I mean, like it's just a bunch of ones and twos. But that's just because of what the film discusses. It's really, you know, divide. Um, what's the word? Divisive? Decisive? I can't. I, 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 I'm, I'm blanking a bit, divisive. but um, di- sorry, what? what mean? Divisive. Do you yeah. mean divisive? Is that yeah, what mean? yeah. What are you trying to say? I think. Divisive. Yeah. yeah, um, and I think like that's the reason yeah. why, because I like it's, I understand why people interpret it the way they do, but like um, but I I feel I, like I don't want to say they're misinterpreting it because like every, you know everything's subjective and it's all you know up to their own way they they the way they perceive each individual thing but if you read what the director was going for and what you know the stars were thinking you know you can see that i don't you know once again i don't want to say they're missing the mark but they are kind of missing the mark with the film Mm. um yeah uh yeah that was really good i think it's olivia cook's best performance not her best movie but um definitely her best performance i'd say um or saw, which was once again not what I was expecting. I had a wake of not of shit I wasn't expecting, because um, all I knew from saw was that it was two blokes stuck in a room trying to get out, and like you know some sick guy was just like you know watching from behind a mirror. But like it actually has a lot to, to do with the outside world through like flashbacks as well that I wasn't aware that I wasn't aware was would that were involved, and um, the way the story unfolds and like. I wasn't expecting there to be much of a story at all. I just thought, you know, it'd be two blokes trying to figure out why they're there and how to get out. Um, but I mean, like the story is actually like super interesting, especially like there's, there's a pretty significant, you know, twist, you know, a few times throughout the movie as like different bits of information are revealed. And that's what, like what, what it does best, like the way it reveals each thing to the audience and the way that, like it's because because as the characters learn stuff, it's the the audience does as well. Because like it's never like they're holding back on us. It's just like these are genuinely like as they're as they're discovering these moments. Um, it's like Saw isn't only like you know a good horror movie, but it, it is a genuinely like you know well crafted, well written film. Um, I'm disappointed that it has an American setting though. I mean, considering that James Wan is you know and Aussie Indonesian, I'm pretty sure. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And uh and didn't that uh, uh what's his face? Lee, Lee. Lee oh, yeah. It's like a, he wrote it, right? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it, yeah. He also was a main star. Oh really? Yeah. Right. 
Um, and then I also watched Kill Bill Volume 1, which I think is one of Tarantino's best films. I think it's... I, 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 I think his blood used in this film is, like, way too over the top. Like, um... Mm-hmm. Like, the whole full spray thing you know that, that that's too much but like i think the rest of his stylistic choices throughout the re- throughout the film i think i think like you know the, the final chapter where he like she she goes to confront orange ishii ishii yeah i think like that's so gorgeous and like just like the anime segment and the rest of the film is so great to look at you know so um mm. and just like, and story-wise as well i mean it's simple you know it's just someone's out to get revenge but like yeah i think it's really great and, uh, yeah. I figured out why I dislike it, because there's anime in it. Yeah. But um, that movie, like, the stylistic choices are really, like, the movie's defining characteristic, I think, anyway. Um, yeah. It's just, I guess, whether, yeah, I guess it's just whether or not they connect with you or not, really. I mean, they connect with millions of other, of, uh, other people, so. Yeah. You're just wrong about it, for you. I guess so. Like, like, like I mentioned last night as well. There's way too much feed in it. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like, uh, you know, you, you, that, that, that's kind of what you've come to expect with Tarantino films, I guess. But there's mm. not too. I mean, there's not too much in Django and Inglorious Bastards, is there? Not from memory. Yeah, no. So, I, I, like, for, for, like, from what I remember, I think this is like where it's like you, you most see it, and it was, it was a bit annoying, but you know. Oh no! Um, it's um, what's that film? Um, oh, Death Proof. Um, oh yeah, Death, Death Proof is meant to be like that exploitation type of like grindhouse film. So like, like yeah. that's very. You know. But that's where it goes full feet. Yeah, you know? Jane, what you just said about exploitation grindhouse film—I have got no idea what that means. Can you please tell me? Oh well, it's kind of like so, like the grindhouse, like double feature, like exploitation films, are kind of like you know, you need like your B level, like nineteen eighties films, you know, like your, you know, you know, like your not necessarily rip offs, but like you know, like your low budget, you know, like cabin in the wood, kids camping type of thing, or like you know, like your sure. your, your shitty slashes and stuff like that, and you know, yeah. like 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 you know the 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 hyper violent and you know the the hyper sexualized like type of stuff you know that that's kind of your grindhouse films so was with death proof uh death proof was tarantino like trying to make something like that yes and like so like death oh, proof is a double feature with this other thing called machete kills or machete planet what, what, what is it fitzy hmm. um, um or machine kills machete kills is that yeah i think it might be machete kills um yeah and like that was very much the intent in the way that he created it it, it, it was to emulate oh, those funny. Types. yeah and i mean like um i'm pretty sure like there's like fake trailers um between the two films or something like that because i know edgar wright directed one of the fake trailers and stuff like that and like it, like the entire experience of those two films is meant to you know be a callback to those 80s to 80s type of um you know things that's really funny. That sounds like a huge passion project. Yeah. I think if, if you watch those films, I mean, it's so evident, like, the influence they had on Tarantino's career as well. Right. Right. Oh. Oh, sorry, um, I was wrong. The, the, the other film's called Planet Terror. Oh, okay. I think The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Tarantino has said that that's one of his biggest uh, influences. Oh, I mean, yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah, many you can say that, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, when you when you kind of like consider like the hyper stylized violence, I feel like yeah. those kind of beats is where he gets that from. Right. Yeah. Let's get on to our question of the show. You people, you audience members, that are so great, wrote in. We asked you what your favourite sports movie is. And these are the responses we got. Lachlan says, The Blind Side is definitely up there for me. I love how uh, short these messages are this week. I appreciate it. Clearly I'm having one of those weeks where I can't read. I mean, that's every week, but especially this week. So I appreciate these shorter messages for my own sake. Thanks, Lockie. Paul wrote in and said, If you build it, he will come. That's all he said. And I was very confused. And then I simply copy and pasted that into Google. And I discovered that that's a pretty famous quote from a film called Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner in the 80s. It's a baseball movie. I had no idea. Is that the so one thank with you, Paul. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? No, that's Angels in the Outfield, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think this is. I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in bloody high school at this time. Yeah, probably. I don't know how old he is. I just guessed. But yeah, I've never heard of that movie. Have you, wait, have you guys heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and... Luke wrote in and said, simply, focus, focus. I've got no idea what that movie's from. That movie's from? <laughs> I was just waiting for someone to say something about that. Um, I have no experience with that. What's your answer, Fitzy, for your favourite sports movie? Mine's a documentary. Um, oh, bullshit. No. <laughs> it's, um, it's called Hoop Dreams. And um, it um, follows these two young African-American teenagers, William Gates and Arthur Agee. Uh, they're incredibly talented at basketball and they both have dreams of getting into the NBA. And um, it just follows them over their high school career uh, in America. And... Um, it follows like their family and their family's like uh, financial struggles and just like their lives in general. They live in, they both live in like Chicago and they're like, um, they're both pretty poor. They, they both like, like, so both of them get a scholarship to St. Joseph's College in, in, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's St. It's Joseph's, um, We've got no idea what that location is. In uh in in Chicago and it's like this prestigious um like high school basketball um school. But um like yeah, one of them gets dropped out because they weren't able to pay for like a certain semester and one of them um even though they even though the other one doesn't have the money they are able to like um stay because they were getting funded by this by this family and um so it's like it's about a lot of things it's about like class and like talent and like the american dream and all those kind of things and um yeah it's just a brilliant documentary uh like these characters it's amazing that this is like a you know it feels like a um the characters in the narrative it, it really feels like uh an epic film um, they're really, they were really lucky to get this material for, uh, the documentary and, uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Great. 
How about you, Jaden? Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I'm a bit conflicted. Um, I, I think I think Green Street Hooligans needs to be mentioned because I think that's like, but I like, but but then like in in that film, I mean like the the like you know soccer is not the main focus; it's more the hooliganism behind the sport. So, I mean, it's still a sport film, I guess. Um, yeah, but I think um. Uh, I think Warrior would be my favorite sport film. It's just like it's MMA or UFC or one one of those type of things. It stars um Jolly Tom Hardy and uh Nick Nolte, and like it's just so good. Like um, it's just really brilliant. And I mean, like Fitzy, I know you'll appreciate this, but like in the final fight, you know, as it comes to a climax, the national starts playing, you know, and uh. Yeah. And, and, and like, like, like it's. I mean, like, I always like a good fighting film. You know, give me, you know, put me in front of like Southpaw or you know, Million Dollar Baby or you know, whatever. But like, this is kind of like you know, the the this is like the cream of the crop of them because like, it's got like such a good story as well, and it's like, and like it's it's, it's one of redemption. I mean, like you know, Fitzy kind of hit it on hit on it in like in, when it's speaking about hoop dreams about you know about class and, you know, the American dream of, you know, greatness and whatever that, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, uh, 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 that's kind of like what, like what most sport films are about, you know, this kind of, you know, overcoming the odds. Cause no one wants to watch a sport film about, you know, the giants. I mean, you know, Friday night lights isn't recognized because, you know, they're absolutely dominating. It's cause they were the underdogs. So, I mean, like, but yeah, I like, like the way that war expo- explores that is really brilliant. Great. Great. Um, Mine's Million Dollar Baby. I think it's great. And I love, for me, watching the movie the first time and I didn't really know anything about it and how much it seemed like just such a generic boxing tale. It's how much it seemed like just a Rocky movie, 2.0. It's like, Jesus Christ, this movie's just dull. It's just about this woman and she's she overcomes the odds in a boxing match. How cool is that? But then how the movie takes such a turn... Um, and really ends on such an, I think, quite an emotionally impactful note. Really surprised me. So yeah, I like that movie. Have you guys both seen it? Um, I don't know. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know if I watch it like in full, like start to finish. There you well, go. No, I watched it the first for the first time half a year ago, I reckon. For tuning into this week's Cinema Effect episode, if you made it this far, we appreciate you, Fitzy. What are we doing next week? Uh, we're doing Ridley Scott's original Blade Runner. Um, and then we'll do the sequel in a month's time. Yes. Uh, yeah. Our second David Webb Peoples film. What was that first? Is it? Oh, yeah. Thinking... That's All right. right. One's definitely going to be better than the other. I'll tell you that much in advance. But uh, where can people watch it, Fitzy? Oh, it's on it's on Netflix. So oh, easy, easy, too sweet. Well, uh, have you guys both seen it just once or more than that? Yeah, just once. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, unfortunately, we won't be liking it this time because you have to watch it at least eight times to like it, as we all know. Yeah, five times in three different cuts to truly understand the message. Exactly. <laughs> you finally, finally can start liking it after that many times. Okay. I've always found that so funny. Um, Jan Fitzy, thank you for joining me as always. No worries. Yep. 
get you know get through the obligations call. And um, we'll see you all next week. Have a good week, and you don't have to bear my incoherent rambling anymore. Goodbye. <laughs>